This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us on Recovery Radio. It's, of course, brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health. Uh, we are here to talk to various experts in different fields regarding the issue of behavioral health. The idea is to uh, generate diverse and meaningful conversations on the issue of, well, substance abuse, mental health, and in general, uh, those areas in particular in light of the current crisis we are taking a deep dive into the impact that the, the disease of the coronavirus disease has had on our lives in ways that only a few weeks ago would have been unimaginable. Um, so, so every opportunity we get to take it a specific aspect of our lives that has been impacted by, uh, by the virus, we're going we're gonna to do that. To that end, we're going to look at the intersection of the law and, and the virus in, in, again, ways that or hard to imagine a while ago. To that end, we welcome Adam Rawson with us. Adam is an attorney uh, practicing in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he's taken a hard look at this in his practice and in his personal life. And as an attorney, he's joined us to shed some light on this issue. Uh, Adam, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. Oh, thanks, Steve. My pleasure to be here. You know, I love uh, just talking about anything I can do to help. You know, we're, we're very big on, on educating people about the law, about mental health and substance abuse. Um, you know, this is a, a very big part of my practice. Well, you know, I um, said at the beginning, it's hard. Every day, it's, there's a new aspect to our lives that you went, oh, I, ha- I hadn't thought how that had been changed. I mean, we know about, you know, sequestering and, and distancing and be- be washing our hands. We certainly know that. But the, the thought that there are implications with regarding with, with, with regard to the law and areas that the virus is affected, which might require legal advice uh, or an attorney, uh, was is just stunning to me. But obvious now that I think about it. So, off the top of your head, and we'll get deeper into it later. What are some of the areas you've already noticed where the law and and the and the pandemic have intersected? Right. Well, from from my area of expertise, which is you know criminal and DUI defense, we we've seen a big issues in, in this um, you know in this field. First of all, courts across the, the country are closed, and our judicial system is really not equipped to have court closures for any you know even more than than two or three days. Um, so the the judges, the chief judges, the Supreme Court, they're all scrambling to try to come up with, with ideas and plans of how to, you know, still protect public, uh, how to have, you know, essential court operations in place, such as people who need to file for restraining orders and, um, you know, essential court, just essential court hearings in criminal fields. Um, you know, it could also be some civil areas of law such as um, dependency issues, shelter hearings, um, you know, emergency petitions for, for custody issues that are going on. So we, we, we've seen just kind of the, the gamut with, with the judicial system, you know, coming to almost a, a grinding halt and, and people need the system. People <clears throat> rely on the system. And what I always tell people, um, you know, when I meet with them on a daily basis, I say, you know, who our judges are in, in our elections and who our state attorneys are and, you know, public defenders and, you know, the local politics really affect the community so much more than who the president of the United States is. 
Um, <clears throat> so these affect people just every single day. With um, you know, we've seen obviously a lot of our clients have had you know issues where they're at home and they have addiction problems and they're not able to access their therapist mm-hmm. or yes. they have to do, te- <clears throat> they have to, you know, telehealth, right? And telehealth is great, but I have some clients who just miss the, the personal connection or, or the group connection. Sure. Um, and anytime there's, you know, people confined to their homes or strongly suggested to be at their homes. Um, and then there's extreme stress and anxiety, you know, the, these are, as you well know, you know, synergistic effects. These are amplifiers. Um, so we're, we're seeing a lot of just, yeah. um, you know, <clears throat> domestic calls, a lot of restraining order issues. We're seeing, um, even though people are not supposed to be out on the roads, you know, we're still seeing a good amount of DUIs. Really? We're seeing a lot less. <clears throat> so we're seeing a lot less of proactive law enforcement. You know, they're not running checkpoints. They're not out there really, you know, waiting at the bars Friday night and Saturday night looking for it. But if, if it, you know, we're still seeing it happen. Yeah. And people, you know, you might get, get into let, an argument and storm out of the house. Let, let, let me ask you, let me ask you about some of these specific things. For, for instance, just prior to the sort of national um, social distancing efforts, the uh, shutting down of, of the country. Just just like a, a week prior to that, I had a, a, a scheduled a jury duty, uh, which I which you are allowed in Pennsylvania to sort of routinely postpone. You get an opportunity to do that once. It wasn't as a result of the uh, crisis, but you know, shortly thereafter, I'm not sure what happened. Are juries still being impaneled in your area, for instance? So in, in South Florida, no, um, but it's county by county. And, you know, where we are in South Florida, my main office is in Fort Lauderdale. Um, we have, you know, three big counties or the tri-county area, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and Palm Beach. And Miami and Fort Lauderdale have um, closed, well, actually, statewide, um, the state of Florida has said no jury trials through April 17th. But, for example, Palm Beach is open, handling a lot more cases than Broward is or Miami. You know, Broward and Miami are really you know, running uh, skeleton crews, essential hearings. We're doing a lot over the phone and a lot over video conference. Um, but jury trials specifically in the state of Florida are halted through April 17th. My, my belief is they're going to take a look at that probably April 5th, April 10th, somewhere in the next you know, seven to 10 days and probably extend that out through the rest of April and just take maybe a two to three week at a time approach. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what know, I, I've heard of other states that have just canceled them all through May. Yeah. Already. Yeah. So if someone has a uh, has a uh, court date, um, no matter where they are, they they sh- they I guess they get they make a phone call and find out whether the courts are even open. But in terms of uh, jury duty and, and the like. It, it, it's it's obviously if we're not supposed to congregate in uh, in more than three or four groups of three or four, they, you can't impanel a jury. So how long can you imagine? A, you know, we're already hearing that you can't keep the business end of America closed much longer. How, how long is it feasible to keep the courts closed? Right. Well, well, and, and you know, the courts are an essential part of, of our society. Um, so it's going to be difficult, you know, my best guess, I mean, th- th- that's going to be one of the first things they want to get back up and running 
you know, they, they need to, um, you know, for, for justice purposes, for, for people accused of crimes, for, you know, to protect people, you know, to protect victims. Um, my, my best guess is, you know, it's, it's not going to go past May. I think, you know, a lot of these states are really going to want to try to open it up early May, mid May before anything else. Um, they're, you know, they, they really are because they, they need to. Yeah. Well, well, we'll be uh, again. We talk about unintended consequences of this thing. I mean, the ripple effect of the virus is just uh, uh, amazing. There is a there is a public health uh, uh, issue that would flow out of let's you know a criminal justice system that had to shut down um, because people were too ill to you know to to do jury duty or or make court appearances or answer summons. You know, it's clear that that is a that is a situation that cannot be let. It'd be left to stand alone for uh, for very much longer. Are you hearing from clients um, that had court that have court dates that have uh, uh, summons that they're supposed to respond to, or court mandated treatments that they have to go to? What kind of questions are they asking you? Oh yes, we're, we're hearing that right now. That's kind of the, the majority of what we're doing with our clients is just you know over communicating and, and that's my advice to everybody during a, a crisis like this is over communicate nobody's going to tell you hey stop calling me right um because there, there's a lot of mixed messages so i've had calls from people who's who wanted to hire me or want to hire me because they had a court date on march 21st for example and they're you know they realized they had a warrant out but they they said well, but adam i i thought court was closed well, you know, statuses, status checks, plea conferences, you know, minor things like that have all been closed. But at least in South Florida, we're allowing um, arraignments and other, you know, what they deem essential court hearings to still go on. And I've had quite a, a bunch of people, you know, confused about that, right? And say, well, it's just an arraignment. I'll, they should get reset, right? Mm-hmm. I'll say, why didn't you call anybody or ask? And they go, I don't know. I just assumed I had to worry about getting toilet paper. I had to worry about staying indoors. You know, I had to worry about all of the other stresses of, of my life. So because we're seeing a lot of that, I just say over communicate. If you have a lawyer, call him or her, email him or her, you know, um, stay in touch. If they're not reaching out to you, you can call the, you can go online and get the, the clerk of the court's phone number or the, the judicial administrator's phone number for the local jurisdiction that you're at. Um, because ultimately, the courts look at it as, hey, this is your job, your responsibility to make it to your court date. Um, and the same goes for treatment. We're, we're, what I, I tell all my clients, whether they're on probation or in treatment, to just be proactive. I tell them this before we have a, a national crisis like this, but I say get it in writing, email your probation officer, ask questions, you know, send, if there's a phone conversation, then memorialize it in writing, in an email, that way it's timestamped. And I always tell them, too, I say, CC me on it. So that way I get it and I have it. I'll put it in your file if it ever becomes an issue. And, you know, and a lot of times when they see that your lawyer is CC'd on it, then they start moving and things get done and and communication improves. At least things won't get worse. The law and the virus is what we're talking about with attorney Adam Rawson here on Recovery Radio. We have more with Adam. Stay with us. This is Recovery Radio. 
Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest on the telephone is attorney Adam Rawson. He is practicing in the Fort Lauderdale, Florida area. He's joined us to talk about the criminal justice uh, situation regarding the virus. Uh, the courts and everything attendant to that have also come to pretty much a halt as a result of uh, the pandemic. And we are getting some expert legal advice uh, to figure out you know, what to do. Uh, when you need a lawyer, frankly. So, Adam, at the at the end of that, you uh, first segment, you mentioned that people really have to can't they can't assume anything regarding their legal status. You know, they, they've got to you know be proactive and get answers. I, I want to get some of those answers right now. Uh, t- take the person who is is arrested for something uh, and finds himself um, needing bail or so. Is that does the whole bail process still operating? How's that work? Right, right. Great, great question, Steve. So it still is operational, um, you know, across across the country, and especially where where I am. Now, when you get arrested, um, what's going on is there's been memos sent out to the prosecutors, to the private criminal defense organizations, to the public defender organizations, saying we are strongly encouraging you to come to agreements for nonviolent offenders who will show up, who will continue to be a part of this process, you know, people who have ties to the local community where they get arrested. So there's a strong incentive to get people who have been taken to jail out of jail. Um, Obviously, not every, you you can't agree, prosecutors and the defense won't be able to agree on every case, but that's come down from above where they are really saying, you know, you folks need to start agreeing and start getting people out of these jails. Um, we've also seen a lot of instances where people, you know, my clients and others who have been in jail for a few weeks, a few months, right, because of whatever type of issue, um, we're able to have bond motions. Now, we're not always doing them in person. Right? We're, some, um, we're doing them over the phone. So in Fort Lauderdale, for example, they have a special um, afternoon that goes into the night, night court that's being handled over the phone specifically for bond motions to get people out of jail because this virus is going to infect the jails and it's going to be a a complete uh, nightmare for the jails, the jail staff, the police. And we've already been having police officers testing, you know, and first responders testing positive. So they're, they're really encouraging us to get our clients out of jail. So uh, what about, I mean, I keep reading these stories, and frankly, it makes me shake my uh, shake my head in disbelief. There are advocates for prisoner prisoner rights and conditions, certainly here in the uh, in the in the Pennsylvania area that I've read, who are clamoring to have the jail populations, the prison populations in general, somehow reduced. Or how would that work? Are you you're hearing that as well, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Now, I I haven't heard much as far as prison population, people that have been sentenced to a specific term um, to have that terminated early or extra gain time so people can get out of of the state prison. But for the local jails, which house people who are awaiting their trial or there while the the criminal charges are pending, that's at least what I've been hearing, the the massive... um, you know, call to action to release nonviolent offenders, release people, even if they, you know, especially as, as you know, right, as we all know, the vast majority of people incarcerated in our country have either a substance abuse, mental health issue or both. 
um, and just trying to get people out. Yeah. What a, What about? Um, I mean, would it be? The, I'm re- really we're 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 flying. Uh, you know, this is all conjecture here. At some point down the road, we'll ha- I will have a government uh, uh, attorney f- for for criminal justice talking about this stuff. But you're you're a criminal defense attorney. Uh, Overwhelmingly, in addition to substance abusers in prison, most of the prisoners are, uh, I guess, nonviolent offenders. Correct? Well, how dangerous would it be? To, how dangerous would it be to release a, a portion of that population? Right, right, exactly. You know, not, not dangerous. Uh, well, you know, the the word dangerous, right? Is is like like anything in law. We say it depends. So it, it really does. Um, you know. Would you consider somebody uh, arrested for burglary to be dangerous? Mm, yeah, I can see the problem. Right, I can see. Right. The, I can well, see. Well, 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 and the reason I ask you that is because on that charge alone, your answer would probably be yes. Mm-hmm. yes. But what if I told you that that person was arrested then for burglary of a car, for opening a car with that was unlocked, and because that person walked by a house saw that there was a car unlocked, opened it up, took a purse to sell, to buy drugs, to feed their drug habit. Then, if you knew all of those facts, you might not consider that to be a violent crime. But yet they're still charged as a burglary. So there's a lot of just using common sense, but also taking everything on a case-by-case basis. Um, What happens, what, what about the person who may have who may be 50 years old, who had a robbery when they were 18 or 20 or 22, served their prison time, and then over the last 10 years just had a serious drug problem, right? 30 years ago, that person went to prison for a violent offense, but now they're older. Um, Most people age out of violent crime but they're still struggling with a lifelong addiction, right? And, and was arrested for a nonviolent drug charge. Right. So but they uh, have this violent crime in their yeah. past. So on the books, they look like your garden variety a criminal who committed a violent crime. Adam uh, Rawson is our guest, attorney from Fort Lauderdale. He is um, sharing with us his expertise as a criminal uh, and a criminal defense lawyer uh, as the coronavirus impacts every aspect of our life. Law and order being just another. We have more with Adam straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Stay with us. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. We um, are going to get back to our guest uh, straight ahead, uh, Adam uh, Rawson. But I want to remind you that the Retreat Behavioral Health is the underwriter of the program. They have been for years and years. Um, a couple of reminders regarding that. A, I tell you all the time, this is not an infomercial for them, although they're very good at what they do. They sponsor the program as an informational and educational tool. Here's a piece of information I would like to share with you. During this this time of crisis, uh, across across the board as our lives are being impacted. Lots of people still need treatment uh, for a, a multitude of behavioral health issues, not least of which is substance abuse and, and or mental health issues or both. Um, that cannot stop. People need help, no matter what the current situation. To that end, Retreat wants me to remind you that they are still open. They, they remain open. They remain accepting clients who are in crisis for one thing or another regarding uh, substance abuse or behavioral health issues. They have um, very stringent uh, 
screening processes now to make sure people being admitted to retreat are, uh, are, are medically okay to go in so that the staff and the patients are safe. So, again, they're a world-class group, but uh, and they're still open during this. They're still there if you need help. Here's a phone number for more information, 855-859-8810. That's Retreat Behavioral Health, 855-859-8810. From Fort Lauderdale, Florida, attorney Adam Rawson is uh, with us on the phone. Uh, Adam uh, joins us to talk about uh, his expertise, obviously the law, and how it has like everything else, been impacted by the coronavirus. Okay, so Adam, let's let's take a look now at some of the things you probably deal with on a routine basis that have, may, have been made uh, even uh, more difficult during this. Um, there's, there's almost certainly uh, going to be a corresponding spike in domestic abuse uh, problems. Uh, they were a problem before the virus, and now that people are holed up together, almost prisoners in their own home, we, we can expect, it, I guess, more of it. What's what's going on in that regard? How do you enforce a restraining order? How do you get a restraining order? Tell us some of those things. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, getting a restraining order is the same way as it was before. This is part of the essential functions of, of the court system that they are still allowing to remain open to protect people Okay, who, who really, truly need it. Um, so whatever the, the process and procedure in your local jurisdiction is, it, it would be the same. Usually it involves going down to the courthouse. They do have pre-filled or pre-prepared um, packets that you can then you know, fill out the, basically the, the, last, you know, the last details as far as the reasons why you need this and what, you know, what the issues are. Um, and they are having judges still sign temporary ones. Usually when the, the judge will read it, and if they believe that there's an imminent threat of harm, they will sign a temporary one until there can be a, a hearing on it. Um, for example, last week I had two restraining order hearings that were done over, um, over video conferencing. So well, with, with me, the judge, and, and all the parties there. Um, for, for my particular case, I had a case that I had my clients since they had me. They didn't even appear, um, but all the other parties did. That's, and, that, and that was done video. Yeah, still going on. That was done in a video conference way. So they're still going on. <clears throat> yes. What yes. about what about yeah. when you need what about when you need someone to restrain someone who's violating a um, is, is uh, what do you call the police? Call your lawyer. What do you do? All right. Well, so what I tell everybody is, anytime you are in fear, right? You're in fear of your life. You're in fear of, of bodily harm. Call the police. The the tricky part is when you're just angry at somebody, right? Because that's you know, the vast majority of cases that I see are people who are you know in a domestic relationship, and that can be mother, um, that could be mother son, that could be husband wife, it could be girlfriend boyfriend, it could be anything, right? Um, but there's a familial. Uh, domestic relationship and they call the police to be therapists. They call the police to come and calm the situation down. And that's not what they're there for. That's not what their training tells them. That's not what the law tells them. So, um, and that's why we strongly suggest to our, to all of our clients and all of our people do not call the police unless you are truly in fear. Um, because more often than not, the police come, somebody has to be arrested and when things cool down, 
Let me ask you. Let me let me ask you specifically what a court looks at before they say we're going to issue a restraining order. What sort of uh, things have to occur before the court says you have to stay away? Right. So generally, there has to be imminent fear. Okay. It's not that so and so did something to me months ago. Right. There has to be imminent fear, threat of imminent fear. Um, and it has to be reasonable, right? It, it can't be somebody who's hypersensitive. It, it has to be something where it's actually reasonable and, and, actu- and something where it can actually take place. It can't be a threat of future harm, such as if you don't do X, then I will do Y. Uh, so it has to be real harm that has the ability to occur now or imminently, um, and it has to be something that creates you with reasonable fear. And, and those, there's a lot of, of course, legal intricacies, but those are the basics. Yeah. Um, it, it, does that result in uh, people, ha- you know, people having to be injured before before something uh, happens? It sounds like that's a that's a pretty wide gap there I mean Um, you don't have to be injured necessarily Um, you know if you are it usually makes the case easier but you don't have to be Um, but it but it you know these are the purpose behind these are to grant protection for people who really truly need it and what I've seen over the course of many years is that the judges usually fall into two camps. You know, yeah. Camp A of the ones that grant everything because they're overcautious. Right. And B, the ones who think these are you know, used by people as a means to manipulate the system, get somebody out of the house, and that, that they think that these are you know, over-granted right. and overused yeah. um, because it's easy to get, it's easy to petition, it's free um, in most states. It does not cost any money to go there and seek protection. Does the does the harassment that you're seeking a restraining order against have to uh, be physical or can it be emotional or verbal? Um, you know what I mean? Right. So for a, for more of a harassment or what we call stalking, uh, that does not have to be physical. It can be emotional. It can be um, cyber stalking over over the internet. Um, you know, and the big issue with that is the courts have to weigh. The you know, what that unwanted behavior is compared to First Amendment free speech. So then, then you roll into some of those potential issues. But it could definitely be stalking, or harassment over the internet, over the phone. Right. Um, okay. To be any of those. I, I, yeah, I understand. L- let's talk about a couple of the other areas that um, have intersected with law. Uh, because of the virus, and that has to do with uh, across the board. We have, I think we have a patchwork of orders or advisories or whatever they are from from either the local or the uh, or the statewide level and now the federal level about sheltering in place and quarantines. And can you can you help us make sense of that? Is it what are we talking about when the governor of a state like in Pennsylvania says uh, everything shut down, don't leave the house? Uh, what does that mean legally? Right. Good. Great question. 
Um, what you need to do is read the actual order that comes out because there's a big difference between what somebody or a governor or a local county administrator may say that they're doing, but then you actually have to read the order. Um, a lot of them talk about essential business. Well, they give definitions as far as what an essential business actually is. I've seen some that have said lawyers and law firms are essential businesses. I've seen some that says any business that has five employees or less that cannot work remotely is deemed an essential business. So, you know, you have to read the order because, you know, a shelter-in-place order can be a suggestion or it can actually be an order or a rule, more like, a, like an actual quarantine. Um, and, of course, as we know, the news media doesn't always get it right. No. That's because these things are complicated. Yeah, they are complicated. I, you know, I mean, I understand what you're saying about the media, but they're flying blind a lot as well. Is there a legal, when a governor or a mayor or someone, I don't know who has the authority to do this, says, I am imposing a 10 p.m. curfew, does that have the force of law, or is he also making a suggestion not to be on the streets at 10 o'clock? How is that? How does that work? Right. So a curfew is law. The, the governor, the executive branch, um, county, you know, local, and uh, statewide, and even nationwide, they have the power to do these things during um, a national emergency, during a, a local a state of emergency, which most of the states have declared. I believe Trump, President Trump has declared a national state of emergency. So they have these powers. It would be no different than um, when a hurricane hits or an, or an earthquake hits or what, any other um, local or regional crisis. So it's just a matter of are the local police departments enforcing it and what are they choosing to do? You can absolutely be arrested. Um, and are they, you know, are the police departments being told to get people back home, you know, use a little bit of force, but and when I mean force, I don't mean necessarily physical force, but you know, get people back home with the threat of an arrest, or do they really want people, these police officers to arrest people and then bring, you know, increase the jail population, yeah, even exactly. if it's just for a night? Well, I think I think a viol- so, violation of a curfew would be something that would be handled, I think, wisely with a very stiff fine rather than uh, in, imprisonment. I, I mean, that that seemed to, to make more sense. Adam Adam uh, Rawson is our guest, attorney in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He's getting us up to speed on many issues that uh, regard uh, law and order and the coronavirus. This is Recovery Radio. We have more with Adam. Don't go away. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. Our guest on the telephone is Adam Rawson. He's an attorney in Florida. Um, Just like every other aspect, and I mean every other aspect of our lives, the uh, criminal justice system, law and order, has intersected with the coronavirus in uh, ways that you know, we're, we're still trying to make our way through. So Adam has joined us uh, as a uh, criminal uh, law, criminal defense lawyer to sort of give us uh, a look on the inside of uh, courtrooms and what's going on. As you can imagine, it has been profoundly disruptive to that system. Uh, so, Adam, th- uh, thanks uh, for your time. I'd like to uh, just get a few loose ends tied up here now. Uh, you've really covered the uh, covered the. Uh, issue for us a couple of other areas family law and uh, and the impact of uh, 
of children in the court system. Has that been impacted by um, by the slowdown or shutdown of the system? So it, it has been impacted like everything else. However, the courts are keeping um, those those cases open as far as child dependency, child shelter hearings, basically anything to do with protection of a child to see if, if that child is best to be with the biological parents or not. Uh, they're really keeping those open um, for the obvious reasons. And uh, juvenile criminal cases as well are, are still fully operational to make sure that, you know, that, that our youth, um, that they get the help that they need through the, you know, usually the Department of Juvenile Justice mm-hmm. uh, in each in each location. In, in, in your area, what's the public defender office uh, like? They're, I guess, generally overwhelmed. What's the situation now with the with public defenders? Right. So they are filing bond motions to get their clients out of jail. Most you know, pub, the public defenders' offices have a majority of their clients who are incarcerated because, to begin with, they can't pay for a bond even get out of jail while they're waiting on their case. So they've been filing a tremendous amount of bond motions to get get those people out of jail. They've It's also impacted them. I know where I am, the jail has allowed video, attorney video, uh, video visits for private and public defenders. So that's good because we certainly don't want public defenders to have to go to the jails and put themselves at risk every single day. So that's good. And, and I hope that they're doing that across the country. How long do you suppose you can, well, you mentioned at the beginning, you can't, this can't go on forever, but it does seem like this, some of this stuff has been facilitated by technology. I mean, you know, um, just, just the description there of getting people out of jail who, who you know, uh, just couldn't make bond can be done electronically. So that, I mean, that system seems to be operating. Have you had occasions where you've talked to clients over uh, video conferencing? Oh, absolutely. Well, what we did is um, starting last week, we just we called every single client on the phone and then we asked them if they wanted to go on on Zoom, on Skype, on FaceTime, really any anything, uh, Google Chat. We, ha- we have it all in, in my firm. Luckily, we're, we're very forward facing with that. And they like that. They like to see us. Um, there's no substitute, right? Just kind of like telehealth. But you'd be surprised how when you see your therapist on the other end of the phone or you see your lawyer on the other end of the computer, and it just it really does help with that human interaction. Yeah, um, absolutely. You can see the body language. You can see just everything. I know you also have, um, this is how you came to our attention, because many of your clients wind up going to uh, uh, retreat behavioral health in Florida and other places and other facilities because it's court mandated. What happens to somebody right now? who uh, maybe can't get to their their treatment, their, even their outpatient uh, treatment, because of a DUI that, that they've gotten. What, what are you advising those people? Um, well, first of all, for the court case, document everything. You need to be able to show the prosecutor and the judge that you're trying. Um, I've had clients who have told me that their group sessions are now being done through a telehealth app. Um, and there's one particular client in, um, specifically she told me she loved it she said look Adam it's really helping me I'm doing it all through it and and I couldn't survive right now if it wasn't for this so I'm so grateful that that the world we live in 2020 we we have the technology I think it's just about people embracing it and and as an attorney you're telling people whatever you were required to do by the court 
just keep a record of what you are doing and still able to do so that if any issues come up after this is over, you'll, you'll be able to be clear about, you know, what you did and didn't do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you then, finally, um, and and again, we're speculating here. What do you expect to be some of the consequences uh, in in your business, the business of law and criminal defense, after we get back to something like normal and the courts begin operating? What kinds of things do you think you'll see as an attorney? Um, Well, the courts are going to be even more inundated than they were before to play catch up first and foremost, but specifically with people. We're going to see a lot of DUIs, just really a lot of of alcohol and drug related cases. So there will be the possession charges. There will be um, issues when when you go back to normal people at restaurants and bars and, um, you know, just kind of really whatever crimes that we have, right? Uh, Domestic violence, regular crimes of violence. Um, drugs, alcohol, all of those things, I I think we will see an initial um, increase in those just because people are cooped up and they don't have that release to go out and be social. Uh, I I certainly hope it doesn't happen. And I would, you know, I'm cautioning all of my clients to really protect their mental health, protect, you know, their, their physical health, protect their family relationships while all of the stress is going on. Um, but it, I think there is going to be a, a temporary increase when yeah. things get back to normal. Well, Adam, that's great. Only natural. Yeah, that's great advice, legal or otherwise. Adam uh, Rawson, uh, attorney. Thanks so much, uh, Adam, uh, for joining us on the program. Uh, be safe and stay well. Thanks very much, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you all for joining us on Recovery Radio. Again, brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health. If you want more information, give them a call, 855-859-8810. That's 855-859-8810. Look for us next time. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been prerecorded.